basically the research is about these worms, which are called wax worms. They are larvae of Lepidopter called Galleria melonella. And the habitat of these worms, of this animal, is the beehive. So they live and thrive and eat and do everything, their life cycle within the honeycombs of a beehive. And that's why beekeepers usually consider them as plagues, but they can kill it all a beehive. So I had my beehives and I found these worms in there, put them in a plastic bag, and I found a plastic bag riddled with holes after a few hours. So I went and checked the plastic in there and I found it was chemically modified. That's when the whole story started. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Federica Bentuchini. She's in the Department of Microbial and Plant Biotechnology at the uh, Centro de Investigaciones Biológicas Margarita Salas in Madrid, Spain. And we're going to talk about um, two creatures or enzymes, I'm sorry, that uh, can destroy polyethylene in a few hours and biodegrade it. So, Federica, thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me here. You know, well, if you would tell me first about your background, how did you get involved in uh, the degradations of plastics? And then I want to ask you about your current work. Sure, yes. So, I'm uh, by training, I'm a molecular biologist, and I've been working uh, using molecular biologist tools. Uh, in the subject of developmental biology, uh, studying embryos, embryos of vertebrates, particularly I was studying chicken and reptiles as experimental systems. So basically you study how an embryo develops, how cells arrange and, and choose, so to speak, their fate. But then I had always uh, carried with me some environmental concern and interest. And as a side project uh, several years ago, I started looking to the environment for little invertebrates, small animals that could degrade plastic bags, which are made out of polyethylene. And that's where all the whole story started. Why were you looking for, and how did you even know that you could find creatures that would degrade polyethylene bags? No, I didn't know. I was very naive, actually. In fact, in the field, the field is, uh, let's say, dominated by, well, more than dominated. In, it was initiated by microbiologists because naturally people look for, for microorganisms like bacteria or fungi. But I didn't have that bias because I was coming from another field. And I, in my head, I was thinking of more like small ants animals in the environment. And it, I happened to find to find one by chance. I was looking for something of the sort, but I found my waxworm mine. And let's say this, this waxworm by serendipity, by, by chance, being a beekeeper. So these are animals that uh, plague uh, beehives. What do you mean? So the, what animals in the, that are around beehives, what that plague beehives? What, they tear you the enzymes or what are these? Uh, the, the worms. So basically uh, the research is about these worms, which are called waxworms. They are larvae of Lepidopter called Galleria melonella. And the habitat of these worms, of this animal, is the beehive. So they live and thrive and eat and do everything, their life cycle within the honeycombs of a beehive. And that's why beekeepers usually consider them as plagues because they can kill it all a beehive. So I had my beehives and I found these worms in there, put them in a plastic bag. 
And I found a plastic bag riddled with holes after a few hours. So I went mm. and checked the plastic in there and I found it was chemically modified. That's when the whole story started. And so the worms, not only, they didn't just chew, was it the worm saliva or were there certain chemicals in it that you could see the plastic was actually degraded? So at that point, at that time, we didn't know how, how it, it managed to do that. We, we used some uh, chemical tools. We found the plastic was chemically modified. Probably there was also some chewing, but beyond that, we found oxidation of the polymer. And also, when they, these worm, they make a cocoon and they transform in moth. Except like when the caterpillar transform in a butterfly, it's just the same thing. And the way when they make the we pull the freshly made cocoon in, in contact with the plastic bag, it produced some debris of plastic. So there was something coming out of the mouth that was producing this effect. That's when we started looking through the saliva, found out that in fact the worm can uh, oxidate and degrade the plastic bag via its saliva. Okay, so then did you try to isolate the chemicals inside the worm that does this? Yes, then we went to see what's in the saliva. We were looking for, well, what the first thing we we're looking for were ends were basically enzymes. Actually, the first thing we did what we did was uh, take a look at the saliva, and there are some tools that, that allow us to do that, like an electron microscopy, so you can see the saliva at very high magnification. And we found it full, full of proteins. Dimes are proteins. So at that point, we start uh, try to identify among these these uh, lots of proteins in there. Which one potential candidates? And again, we apply some biochemistry there to reduce our pool of candidates until we found these two enzymes capable of reproducing the effect of the saliva, meaning degrading polyethylene. So these enzymes are just a normal part of their saliva? Like, have you, have you compared the worms eating regular worm food to plastic? Is the saliva so- the same or different? The saliva, uh, we didn't do that, but the, I don't think uh, the, the worm eat the plastics. Uh, plastic is not food for the worm. Uh, the plastic, the, the, the chemical composition of plastic is too too poor to be able to sustain the growth and the survival of the worms. And also, we did, we did that, that the kind of experiments so the worm, the worms are not good in a diet, only of polyethylene. The people yes. eat candy sometimes, and that's not good for them. They eat mostly <laughs> other stuff. Maybe the worm yeah. just eats it and moves on, looks for more food. We are not only working on this. And when you look at the feces of the worm that has been exposed only to plastics, the, some plastic, plastic is mashed, it's broken, it's partially degraded, but then it's lost feces as well. So it's expelled. So plastic is too poor. A diet only with plastic it will cause the worms at some point to stop its, uh, its life cycle. Oh, we, we did that. So we, we can say so that. So was the worm just breaking through the plastic and yes. you know degrading it, like punching through it? To get out, but both things probably punching through it or uh, and degrading because you have this possibility, this capability of, of breaking down using the saliva, using these substances in the saliva. So it's not only mechanical effect. This is this is important. It's a chemical effect. There is this 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 capacity. Right. Are there other substances where the worm has the same behavior? Like, what if you put them in a paper bag, where they chew their way out the same, or other kinds of the, uh, you know, maybe other kinds of plastics too. Well, they make all in polyethylene. Other people found out that the same worm can uh, break down polystyrene. And then if there are others, so we are trying others, so we don't know yet. So so what your goal now is to have you isolated the enzymes in the worm's saliva that do the breakdown? And you so what mechanism at auction? Yeah, that is a key question. So we uh, found out which enzymes were the, the culprit. So, okay. And then what we did, uh, we didn't isolate them from the saliva. We made them in the lab. 
Uh, there are companies that can do that. You can do also in the lab, like we could do that, but these are relatively new proteins, new compounds, so it's not immediate. So we need, we need some work. But the, the good point is that I I bought this enzyme from a company, it could be the plant company do that. And they managed to reproduce it in the lab, so they're called recombinant proteins. So we don't have to store and to have uh, billions of worms to, re to retrieve saliva. We just can produce the, the protein in the lab. So how that this so this is the, the first point. This is important. Now we need to reproduce a large scale, and we are not there yet. But the proof of, the proof of, uh, the, of concept is there. Now how the enzymes work? This is a good, good question. We don't know chemically how they work. We have no idea. We are trying to figure this out right now as we speak. <laughs> um, how do you intend to apply it once you figure this out? How do you think it could be scaled up commercially? Well. We hope we can. So clearly, nowadays, to talk about the great tunnels of plastic, I mean, this is a bit utopian. But the idea is to use these enzymes. These enzymes represent a lot of excretion in a water solution, so we don't need the specific uh, arrangement. And the plastic doesn't need to be pre-treated. So it's relatively easy. So we can imagine a, a controlled place like painted or something, put the plastic there and pour a solution with enzymes in there. So this is this is how it could be done. So in, again, thinking of in terms of tons and tons, uh, now we cannot do that. It would be highly unrealistic. But maybe we can think if we manage to produce uh, lots of these enzymes at low cost at some point and during the, this path in, in research, uh, maybe we start thinking of contributing a percentage a percentage of plastic waste uh, management with reduction. So what are the how many stages are there in the breakdown process? Like have you identified chemically? the intermediate compounds formed and the final ones and, and how this works? Oh, this is a good point. So usually we found some degradation products, which are what you expect when you oxidate a molecule like polyethylene. I mean, this is what chemists describe. So there are the polymer, you're breaking small pieces and you have touched oxygen in different forms, in different shapes. So you have uh, something which are called cations, some other compounds which are called uh, acids, etc. So it is exactly what you expect for the degradation. Can we degrade more than this? Well, we don't know that. Can we degrade completely to CO2? Do we want that? Maybe not. Maybe we could use this, this small oxidized compound to do something else. Maybe that would be useful to the chemical industry. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Okay, but again, so do you have a chemist on board that can figure out again all the reactants, all the products, how to make the reaction to make it faster and to reduce the, you uh, know, have more products? In these two sense, you summarize years of research, which are good. Again, you you point to the finger in the in the key issues. So we had a chemist in the lab and the chemist, and then we use also facilities outside because the type of chemistry we need to try to understand this is a different kind, the different types. We are collaborating, so this is a really a multidisciplinary effort. Even talking all about chemistry, and then this for the what is produced, but then even in terms of the enzymes, how to optimize them. So we are working on the structure. 
the statue meaning to see how the, the protein is arranged in space and see how it could degrade plastics. And that's a key starting point to be able to improve its production, its stability, and eventually its function. So it, there are all little steps that we need to take, and we need different uh, competences on board. And we have some of those, some with some we collaborate. Okay, and so when, so these worms can break down polystyrene, polyethylene, etc. Commercially, are you focusing on polyethylene? Because there's a whole world of information just for that plastic, or are you going to uh, try to figure out the mechanism for multiple plastics? Like, what's your goal? Yes, uh, the the old thing you said. So we are focused on polyethylene. Was the first uh, I started working on plastic bags, and then it happened to be that the more produced, thirty percent. But clearly, what we are after are the polyolefins. So I would say, for example, if you consider polyethylene, polystyrene, and polypropylene, I think we go around seventy percent of plastic production. That's a lot. So that's the target. Probably future will be mixed plastic. If you it might be able with the enzy- enzymatic preparation to avoid the step of separation of plastic when we manage the plastic and residues, there will be there will be a, a very good step. Okay. Again, have you, have you found any in- intermediate products that are useful? I mean, what if well, the intermediate? Worms, yeah, yes. What if you could have the worms break down the plastic into maybe back into monomers or useful components where you could recycle it? What is the goal? Is it for the worms to just degrade this totally to some other substance or to partially do it? that they can be recaptured, maybe? You can do several things. So the worms, uh, to go to the monomer, I don't know that. I don't know if chemically, chemically that is possible. But, for example, we found a small oxidized compounds, some are in the kettle, some is, is, is nasty called sebastic acid, which are useful for the industry. These are all industries that try to produce, for example, the kettles. But they, they might be used, for, for example, for as solvents or other compounds. So if there are compounds that the industry can use, currently what could you do? For example, you could try to in- in- engineer some bacteria and see if you can, uh, for example, uh, completely degrade this compound or transform whatever is, is formed in some other useful compounds for the industry. Now, the transformation to monomer, I'm not sure. I don't know if uh, that would be my target right now. Chemically, this would be a difficult step for the time being, as far as we know. And then if some point we realize that we can do that, maybe we can also get into that. But so far, I cannot say anything like this because we are not sure about the chemistry of that. Okay, well, again, so how long will it take you to figure out what the chemistry is or which part of it? It depends on the money. It depends on the funding. If I get uh, five million today, we might do it pretty fast. If we go on like this as I am now, it's going to take forever. This is always the key, the key question because the funding is, is critical. You need a chemist, you need a chemist different, with different expertise, you need lots, lots of things, and the fund even to the proper experiments. So this is always the, the bottleneck for us. Have you been able to identify any of the uh, components yet, or or not yet? Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. Ah, uh, no, no, sorry. What components? Oh, you know, again, the digestion of it. What is it digesting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but not digestion though. Sorry, not digestion. Just breaking down because digestion implies yeah, yeah breaking down. There's more oxidized molecules. As I said, ketones, some acids which could be used by the industry. These these we identified. We identified in a proof of principle experiment. So very small amount of of. Um, of enzyme and very small amount of plastics, and I'm sure we could we could do more in in that direction if we had more enzymes and more plastic. But already it's a good start because we found some compounds it could be reused, and it's what is expected actually. So it's pretty good. Right, but of the compounds you've already found, are any of them surprising to you? Can you describe any of them? They're called kettles, and one other of one typology. Another is a, a basic acid, which are not surprising. Exactly what you might expect to. If you, if, if from a degradation 
uh, or polyethylene, you find something like this, it's okay, okay. That's, that's, it's, it's not surprising, it's pretty good actually. Ketones and sebastic acid, these are the, the major compounds we found. What is that? What is ketones? Ketone is a specific group, chemical group, which is oxygen, one part of the molecule. And it's plastic acid, again, oxygen in different shape. And these are called small oxidized molecules. It's coming from the polymer. The polymer has been chopped in pieces and you have oxygen attached. And But I want to point out, which is just, again, we found this working with a very small amount and we might increase the body quantity and the quality if we use more, if you if we work with more quality, more amounts, both of plastic and enzymes. Well, what's interesting chemically about the compounds you're seeing so far? You said that these are rare compounds. Have they ever been seen before? This is what you expect from the. Um, this is exactly what you expect from the from the oxidation of polyethylene. So it's not it's not surprising. They're interesting because that's what because first because the polymer is broken down. Second because you could reuse it. The industry, the chemical these are compounds that are used in the industry. So chemical industry, different kinds of, of sorts. So you can recover a lot of this, the material. Yeah, yeah, you can recover. Yeah, yeah, yes, you can recover. And so so instead of a monomer, instead of monomers, which may be ideal, maybe not, but you could still create useful, Absolutely. recoverable products. That's Absolutely. Cool. This is the part, the part, the, what I mean, let me to say the proof of concept worked pretty well. Proof of concept. So we need more enzymes. We need to scale it up and see what else we can find. And the, uh, the, the, the quantity, because uh, we don't know the quantity, the quantification of enzymatic reactions. There are all little steps uh, that we need to work out. Can someone just, you know, just with um, chemical formulas, calculate the theoretical production limit of the chemicals? No, yet, not yet, because for the quantification, we need to do a different kind of experiments, but we need the, the limiting factor are the amount of enzymes. So the first step we need to do is to produce more. And so that's what we are working. We are what trying to... The, um, the price of the degradation products in the market, what if you figured out how much those products were worth if they were, you know, I, I, they need to be purified, of course, but let's say it's, I don't know, a dollar a pound. And you get three no, products. No, you, I cannot. I cannot do that. I cannot. Do you, um, look at the mass of it and see if um, no, how worth no, it this no. process might be. I see your point, but uh, not really. I didn't do that because I see the importance of this point for the industry. And if the industry at some point put invest in that, so the, the industry is not investing in that. But second, and I'm stressing this point, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning because I don't want to limit. We found this. They have these three compounds. How much is worth? No, no, we have these three compounds to start with, and I'm sure we can find more because again, we have a limiting solution the techniques we apply. So I don't want to fix my attention on this. Because it will be dangerous, because maybe I don't see the, the old scenario. I don't want to lose sight of the old scenario. This is just the beginning of the story. So I haven't done this calculation because for me, it's, it's, it's not the moment to do this calculation. It's not that we, we might really lose uh, something there if I if I stop at this step. So what are your next steps now in the experimentation? On one side, the, the try different plastics. On the other side, producing the proteins. This is key. Third side, also, we are already doing that. We are quite ahead on that, uh, characterizing the structure. The structure of the, of the protein is important for optimization. They're all going, going, these three things are going the same direction. Hmm. Okay. What are some of the plastics that, if they could be broken down, people would be amazed? Are there any particular plastics that are really difficult to do? Uh, this one is the polyethylene. Polyethylene, the, poly, the polyolefins, polyethylene, polystyrene, polypropylene, and PVC. These are the most difficult, the most resilient, the sturdiest. And these are, these are different from the PET, which is the plastic bottle, for example. Those are res, the plastic bottle is less resilient. It's a polyester. But the other one, polyethylene, this is the aim. The, this is where the interest is. 
in a way the, where the interest is, although the industry is kind of absent there in terms of investment for some reason. What about in nature? Is anyone going and um, sampling, let's say, PVC that's been laying in the dirt for years to see if there's any degradation or uh, other plastics in the environment to see if there's other natural creatures or bacteria that, that do degrade these substances? Absolutely. This is where the field, uh, that is how the field of biodegradation of plastics started. And we we're talking about it two decades ago, and that's what they do constantly. They, meaning the people in the field, I entered the field just a few years ago. And with they, I also referred to the microbiologists. So they, they went into lengthy sites, uh, ch check out piece of plastic, this polyolefin, and look for bacteria. But so far, the search for bacteria or the quest for bacteria didn't give uh, much results. Bacteria has some troubles to attach and degrade such a sturdy material for the time being. Maybe at some point we found something. For the time being, uh, it's still problematic. Insect came into the picture a few years ago, and now we found these two enzymes, which are, for the time being, uh, they are unique. Maybe, again, hopefully, some more will be discovered. But for the time being, these are the first one capable of the PE. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, Federico, where can people find out more information about your work and keep tabs on it? I have all my, I have a couple of websites. One is, um, the, I, we, I formed the, um, set up a spin-off called Plastic Entropy. And uh, that's, there's a website and I have all my personal and my information are there. I also have a LinkedIn page, all these social media. I don't have Instagram though. <laughs> that's maybe it's a, a problem. Except for that, websites, uh, LinkedIn, and that's where my information are. Okay, very good. Well, Federica, keep, keep working. It's a very interesting field. So, Thank you for coming on. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.